uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. two million years ago. Got onto that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. The malignant power of this creature is indestructible, transferring its force from mind to mind, from body to body. Beast is not dead. I put four bullets into him. You think evil can be killed with bullets? Satan leaves. The animal that you shot was only the host. It's alive in someone on this train. You saw his eyes. One look at them and you're dead. Anything that moves near that door, kill it. <laughs> Run, run for your life. Hide, but you can't escape. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're taking a deep dive into the classic or is it film horror express one of my personal favorites i'm so glad we're covering this film finally straight away we're going to kick it up to the satellite karen take it away thanks larry well you know uh it's been a, a pretty cold winter for most folks Indeed. so this uh, movie seemed appropriate as it takes place on the trans-siberian express uh this movie really uh uh, exudes cold throughout the entire film. So uh, we thought it would be a good pick for a uh, a film to take a look at. And it's also a film that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about. Um, a lot of times people have heard about it and they think it's a Hammer movie, and it's not a Hammer movie, although you, you would be um, excused in thinking it's a Hammer film because it features Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Uh, that's probably... One of my favorite things about it is that they are both together and they're actually on the same side in this film. They're not 
you know, opponents like they were in so many of the Dracula films. So um, that's a lot of fun watching them banter with each other. And uh, this is actually a Spanish slash British production that came out in 1972. Um most of the film takes place on a train. For those of you who haven't seen it, the Trans-Siberian Express. Uh, it's uh, set in 1906. Christopher Lee plays Alexander Saxton, who is a uh, archaeologist, and he discovers this frozen missing link, half man, half ape, frozen in the ice, and he determines to bring it back uh, to England with him on the train. And uh, all sorts of mayhem ensues once he has it on the train. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, Peter Cushing is Dr. Wells. He seems to be a medical doctor, but a scientist as well. And uh, he gets involved in investigating what's going on on the train. Um, they have all sorts of other characters. So it's almost like a mishmash of like murder on the Oregon Express and the thing, because you have this, this entity that sort of gets loose on the train. Everybody's confined. They can't go anywhere. Um, you have all these characters. There's a Russian count and countess. There's a spy. Um, the engine, there's the engineer. There's the monk. Yeah, Rasputin. That guy, I, the whole time I'm going, that looks like <laughs> Robert De Niro. <laughs> I was so convinced it was Robert De Niro, but it wasn't. It was an, a, a Spanish actor named uh, Alberto de Mendoza. And then, of course, the real kicker is Telly Savalas, who shows up in like the third act as this uh, Russian Cossack captain, captain. Uh, Kazan, who is so like over the top and crazy and just really like, I don't know, gives the, the whole thing a real um, kick. But yeah, anyway, that's sort of the basics. There's the 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 um, missing link is actually inhabited by sort of this alien presence that can attack people. And he, it it's, you know, it's it's of its age, right? I felt like this movie would fit in with like Kolchak, the Night Stalker, um, Count Yorga, those things. So the effects look kind of hokey now, but they really fit for those early '70s kind of movies. And uh, yeah, the thing can can uh, stare at people with these glowing eyes and like kill them or transfer its mind into people, and so. Yeah, just yeah. A, a really fun movie. So I, I don't know about you guys. I I know I didn't see this when I was a kid, but I saw it as an adult, um, early adult, and really thought it was a, a kick. Um, what about you two? Any thoughts? I think, Bob, this might have been your first time seeing it. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Okay. I, that was the impression I got from our texts. But I used to watch it with Bob Wilkins on Creatures. Oh, okay. No. Showed it all the time. So I've seen it quite a bit. Um, I just hadn't seen it in a long, long time. But um, no, I enjoyed it. Um, Tully Savalas definitely had the coolest outfit on the train. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought Peter Cushing had like the best line in the whole thing. What was that? <clears throat> and that was when uh, he and... Christopher Lee are kind of just starting to team up and they're in that one room and they're talking and the uh, inspector who at the time was possessed by this mm -hmm. alien, whatever you want to call it. And he's like, Oh, it's good to see you two teaming up, blah, blah, blah. Although what if one of you were the monster? <laughs> Peter Cushing's like monster. We're British. Yeah. <laughs> These can't be monsters. We're I wonder if that was ad libbed or if they if they wrote it in there because at this point in their career, they had done however many Frankenstein, Dracula, you know, uh, movies together, and there was a genuine affinity between those two. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was reading um, Peter Cushing's wife had had recently passed away, and he was kind of of the mind well let me let me just work let me just do job after job after job and and you know not deal with the feeling of of loss and then 
he gets this gig and he's kind of like, oh, you know, I miss her so much. I don't know if I can do this. And if it was Christopher Lee, there's different stories, accounts of of how he talked him into it. But it was just like they had a conversation and said, OK, I'll pick you up at seven and we'll drive to set. And they, the movie was made. Yeah, I mean, the one I read was saying that Christopher Lee basically reminded him of all the films they had done together and how much they enjoyed their time together and mm -hmm. on the sets and things and basically talked him into doing the film. Right. But when you see his performance, I was going to say, no, that, you know, behind the scenes, he was depressed and yeah, you know, he lost his wife and all that. Um, Cause he gives a great performance and, you know, he's, seems almost jovial through parts of it. Right. He's sort of the comic foil. It seemed like to Christopher Lee, you know, he's, uh, he's a little sarcastic and flippant and everything. Right. Well, Christopher Lee is the, the serious driven scientist type. Right. And uh, it's yeah. a testament to their, you know, real actors and actors, actor. And I, I always mention, you know, these movies back in these, you know, this period in time, there were not great special effects. And, and, you know, yeah, this is one of those movies, although the eyes, I would love to know the secret, those red eyes, how they how they work that out. But it was well, the, the, yeah, the white obviously is contact lenses. And I think, yeah, well, but I think it's like, I don't think they light up. I think they were reflective. That's what I was thinking. They would have had to shine a, a black light or a flashlight or something because the technology at the time, even if you put a battery in there, I mean, the lens would have been huge. I thinking they would burn the actor's face, but maybe it was not even, maybe it was a mask. Maybe like it was a dummy or something and it wasn't actually their. No, I, I read that they it was actual contact lenses, but they didn't specify how well, they got them to glow I, red. I thought the contact lenses was just for the white, though. I thought the, the red was, uh, like Bob said, some kind of effect, whether it was a reflector or a it, light or something. I read it was a lens as well, but just different color. But Because hmm. in the movie, yeah. even, it's like they have to turn out the lights. It, they don't show up. They don't glow unless it's dark. So that might have had something to do with however they pulled it off. Yeah. I know with the white lenses, the director, there was an interview and he says, you know, basically the actors were blind. Yeah. So, so they would have to act out the scene to make sure they didn't hit any furniture and then they'd film it. And, you know, if they hit furniture, then okay, cut. And they'd have to do it over again. But those, those are like the lenses um, in, in Star Trek with uh, Gary Mitchell, right? I mean, it must have just been painful. Well, yeah. Back in the day, they didn't have those nice, comfortable lenses. Yeah, they now. were probably some, glass. Yeah. And some of those lenses were big. Like, they would cover basically your whole eye. So. Yeah. That but, really um, I, I grew up watching this uh, with, uh, with Bob Wilkins as well. And uh, the music, uh, the the whistling is really cool. Um, you know, it, it 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 just adds to this. I, I I like this film a lot. I think it's a cult classic. Uh, I had the DVD from uh, it was it was a, a prize that I won at Thrillville with <laughs> Will and Monica back in the day. Um, he showed the movie and, and gave the gave the disc away as a prize. Anyway, um, I found the Blu-ray and I was talking to Karen. She had uh, a copy from one company. I got a copy from Arrow. Yeah, mine and was basically from... yeah, basically the same. Uh... I think I think they just redid the the same version because <laughs> mine was from Severn from I think like 2011, 2010, mm. something like that. And all the features that was on mine, I think were also on the Arrow version that you had. So I think it was kind of yeah, it didn't the same, same version, yeah. But it was, you know, it, it's nice filler uh, if you're able to get the Blu-ray. If, if all you have is the DVD, I showed Karen, it, the DVD just had a fold out cover with someone writing you know, <laughs> their thoughts and interviews that they had. Uh, well, for me, Mr. Physical Media, I didn't have it. So I had to end up renting it from Amazon ah. online. But Mr. Physical Media rented? 
Who who are you and what have you done, with Bob? I found it online, but I couldn't get it in time for this, so I had to uh, go with the streaming. But I'll I'll say the Blu-ray looks beautiful. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I may um, still pick up the Blu-ray. Super sharp. The one thing that's interesting though is all of the credits are in Spanish. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so it, it's that Spanish version. Uh, I thought it was interesting to to find out that they, when they filmed it, they didn't record the sound. Everything was dubbed afterwards. So a lot of work for the uh, the Foley people, I guess, and, and all the other effects people, ADR and, and everything. I thought it was um, interesting that Olive Gregg did the voices for both the leading actresses. Ah, I didn't notice that. That's. I mean, I'm sure she changed her voice a little bit for one versus the other, but yeah, it was. And, you know, that kind of got me going down the rabbit hole of, and I couldn't find the name of the voice actor, but a lot of the Bond girls in the James Bond films were all dubbed. Hmm. Were dubbed, including Jane Seymour. Really? I think that she would have her actual voice. But they're all dubbed by the same voice actress. Find her name online. I have to go. I wonder why Jane Seymour would be dubbed. I mean, she's English. Why would or British? Why would she need to be I don't know. They, uh, I know Gert Froby was definitely dubbed for Goldfinger. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But yeah. He did all his lines kind of phonetically and then they dubbed him. But anyway, yeah, Olive Gregg did the voices for both the female leads in this. So I thought that was, it almost made me want to go back and watch it again, just so I could listen to the two voices and <laughs> see, see how different they were. Well, I, I know what they did with the movie is they, uh, you know, different markets, they had different languages for whatever market they were going into, but for Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing and Telly Savalas, they kept their, at oh. least in the English version, their, their voices. So that right. was almost like they'd have to, because by that time people knew. Yeah. The, right. right. The recognized. I mean, to give people some context, um, this film came out right after basically like Dracula AD 1972. It was followed up by creeping the creeping flesh and satanic rites of Dracula. If you look at like Telly Savalas, he was actually you know, pretty far along in his career, he had done the Dirty Dozen already. He had uh, been in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So he'd been he in the Bond film. He'd done Kelly's Heroes. So he was not an unknown quantity when he made this film. And a few years later, he'd be doing Kojak. Right. Um, so, you know, all three of That's these are funny. established figures uh, in this film. So they're obviously the selling point for the movie. And Absolutely. I just, Savalas's performance in this, I mean, it's so brief, really, when you look at it, but it's just so like, what are they, the British say, gobsmack? I mean, he just comes in and he is like a bolt of lightning all of a sudden. He's this just sort of maniacal character that appears. And like Bob, you were saying, he's got this bizarre red jacket and apparently no shirt on underneath <laughs> he obviously he obviously had a blast with that role because oh, yeah puts everything into it he's like chewing the scenery and he's kind of menacing he what he reminded me of between his voice and he has a fantastic voice i mean he would would have been a great voice actor i don't know how much voice acting he did but between that voice and the presence, for some reason, it really reminded me of Clancy Brown in Highlander. Yeah, I got the that curtain. feel too. Did you? Did you? It was so weird. I was like, who does this remind me of? Because um, the voice and everything was the biggest thing, but just also that weird presence, I, you know? I couldn't help but wish that Telly Savalas could have done an audition for Mr. Krabs. <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, he, he makes his mark 
What I thought was interesting too is that there was a movie uh, around the same time called Nicholas and Alexandra. Oh, th this and is complicated. <laughs> well, that's where the train came from, right? The model train. Maybe. Because well, the producer says one like thing. Or something. Well, that's the thing. The, the producer, um, Bernard Gordon, said, no, no, no. It was from the Pancho Villa movie we made right before with Telly Savalas. But then the director, Eugenio Martin, said, no, no. It came from Nicholas and Alexandria. Alexandra, or maybe it was Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> he told two different stories. <laughs> but yeah, that they had this bigature, basically. It wasn't a miniature. It was a bigature of the train. But yeah, it's not clear. Like, well, which... like all the scenes were shot in one train car. Two. Kind of like rearranged things. Two? Okay. Yeah. They, they'd film in one, redress the other, and then once they were done filming all the scenes, like in the luggage car, they did all the luggage scenes and then they'd move to the dining car and they'd film all the dining scenes and then they'd go to the sleeping, you know, car. The, the... So it was interesting moving between the two sets. And those sets were used in, in either Dr. Zhivago or Alexander. And... <laughs> <laughs> but the film was filmed in Madrid. Yes. So all the ice tundra and the the you know archaeological find of the creature and the the train station and and all that stuff was in Madrid. Yeah, it's definitely Spanish, despite all of the uh, snow and other stuff. And uh, I think they were supposed to be leaving um, Beijing, right? They were. Right. In a, a Beijing um, train station. But yeah, it's all it's all Spain. And I think also another thing that really struck me was how much of this. Oh, it was, was Shanghai, Shanghai to Moscow. Oh, was it? OK. Um, how much of this really was kind of ripped off and, and re rewritten from uh, like the original story of uh, who goes there, the the story that became the thing, right? Because it, it's so, the similarities are so strong. I mean, there's no spaceship in the beginning, but the creature is wanting to build a spaceship and leave. You know, like he's asking the engineer about like, do you know people who, you know, is there a way to like break free of gravity? And the guy's like, well, there's a, you know, there is one guy who's got a theory about this. And, you know, can you, can you send me to this guy? Do you know? And he's like, and the steel, the uh, count has like a bar of steel. And, you know, he's like, oh, I want to figure out how to make this steel. And so he's like scheming about how he can get back into space. And so there's all this there's like so much going on in this movie, but the the little alien thread that is, connects it back to um, the thing and who goes there is definitely there. Absolutely. I think that's a lot of fun, at least for me, for this movie, because you have three acts and, you know, the, the first act is this archaeological find of this half human, half ape that's locked up. In, in this crate with, with, you know, bars. Yeah. Why bars? Yeah. So, and that, that was just for the movie. That's for us. So we could see that red eye, <laughs> excuse me. And so it's like, is, is it, you know, some kind of a demonic prehistoric, mm -hmm. you know, and you have Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. So right, right away, you're thinking, you know, some kind of monster, some kind of crap like that's going on. And then it starts absorbing people's mm -hmm. thoughts and minds. And there's a, a a conversation that's had where it's like boiling a fish. You know, their, their minds are being like robbed or boiled of all their. And so their eyes turn white. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty interesting, you know. And then, you know, they start doing autopsies and more and more people start falling under this. What was interesting is when, spoiler alert, when the entity transfers into the inspector, right? Because they shoot the 
the half ape, half human, he has the creature's furry claw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I didn't quite understand that. Like, yeah, that's kind of the weird thing because they, because uh, <clears throat> first it's like, it's this monster that absorbs your thoughts. And then it's like, no, now he can transfer into a body. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and and that was like you know he's a he's an extraterrestrial being and then it goes all off into the sci-fi slant and that that all his memories are in his eye and not in his brain <laughs> so they can put a drop on the microscope from the eye and take a look and see images and things that the the creature had seen or the alien had seen even going back to like dinosaurs Right, mm -hmm. seeing like a tyrannosaurus and a pterodactyl, and and, and the planet Earth. Don't forget, they saw the plant from space. Were, yeah, because they saw as he was approaching Earth originally. So, yeah, he was kind of here since day one. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it was exciting because now you're like, oh my god, the inspector's the, you know, the the creature, and he's he's having a conversation with Christopher Lee to the effect where Christopher Lee's like, well this creature can actually jump into other bodies. And, and you alluded to that line between Cushing and, and Lee, Bob was like, oh, we're British. We can't be. <laughs> Monsters um, are British. And then, you know, I got to give it to the actor, even though he was dubbed, uh, Rasputin was just disturbing. Wasn't that kind of bizarre how he just flipped and he's like oh now i'm gonna worship this guy <laughs> this is like, oh satan you're so powerful and he, he was like also the only one in the movie that was like come into me take me yeah. <laughs> and the inspector at first is like annoyed with him like ah. but then he, he serves a purpose you know right. he, he did something that helped the the entity um uh, yeah, it was, I just really, really like the acting in, in this film. I like the effects, even though they're kind of, you know, dated. Um, it still gave me that, like, weird, you know, some of the 70s movies just hit you and, and make you feel, like, not not completely frightened, but just kind of, like, uncomfortable, you know, in a, in a, in a horror way. Well, see, this thing goes from monster movie... To science fiction, right, and to horror because at the at one point, spoiler alert, yep, he brings all his victims back to life as these like zombies. Yes, then yes. it's like, and it's great. Christopher Lee's finding him. It's like Dracula versus the zombies. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just. It took so many twists and turns, not only in plot but in genre and uh, and all that. It was. How, how fortunate were we that the lights went off in that car when the zombies came alive and their red eyes were, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you, of all the people that got transferred or, or had their minds wiped by by the entity, Telly Savalas is like, yeah, was like spot on for me. He, he was <laughs> fighting. Oh, yeah. But, but then again, too, when he's trying to figure out like exactly, he's asking the inspector, "Who exactly are you? Know, who are you? Mm -hmm. Exactly are you?" And then Christopher Lee just kind of reaches behind him and flips flicks off the light. Mm -hmm. His eyes glowing. It's like, "Oh, that's who you are." Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That, that was a very very cool scene. And yeah, those zombies—they were all blind too. They, they I know they're, they're like, like swinging yeah. their swords around and everything. <laughs> it was kind of the extra level of creepiness. Um, absolutely yeah and it's got a little bit of everything it's it's um and then you've got the big cr uh, train crash at the end too so you've got it's like oh the train's going are they gonna get they back? have to separate the car will they separate it in time get back get back and of course the car they're in goes right up to the end <laughs> i know <laughs> so yeah very uh I don't want to say hodgepodge because that has like a, a negative connotation, but more like a smorgasbord. Let's say that it's got just about everything you could want in an early 70s 
horror slash sci-fi. And yeah, it's really true. Like Larry, you were saying it for a while there, you just think, oh, it's probably a demon or something. Cause you know, you've got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing right. you're expecting something that's more occult. And then it turns out to be a, uh, an alien. With zombie controlling abilities. <laughs> that's like a plus one. Plus right. one alien. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't get to read too much on the post stuff, but did it get a theatrical release here or limited? It was very limited distribution. And, and you know, uh, there's no rhyme or reason why. Um, that's just how it was critically. You know, it did okay. It wasn't like, oh, wow, you know. Um, the selling point was the three stars. And as a matter of fact, in one of the documentaries, when the poster was released to promote the film, the three stars were not on the poster. It was the monster with the red eye and one of the women. It was a still taken from the film of the woman just kind of, ah! So no one knew, you know, Christopher Lee, Telly Savalas, Peter Cushing. And it that just, was a mistake. Yeah. It did very well in Spain. Um, and it, it did okay, like in England and the United States. And But it was as it came out after first run, hitting, you know, Creature Features and Elvira. And that's when it started gaining its cult status. And and I think the first print that they struck was kind of like a messy print as well, where, where you could see where they taped real one to real two. And, you know, that was the time of the Grindhouse film, though. So people were a little more forgiving of scratches and, and you know, things of that nature. Um, the print, like Karen said, the print on the Blu-ray is like really good, though. So It's outstanding. Well, I have to probably... Go ahead and pick that up at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's not that expensive. It's it's funny though if you have Shutter, uh, the the cable channel horror cable channel. There's a um, creep show series. Bob and I have talked about this before. I uh, season. You what? I watched that episode last night. Oh good. I ran out of time. I didn't get to watch it, but yeah, season two, episode five, Night of the Living Late Show. And in that episode, um, the film is a favorite of inventor Simon Sherman. Uh, Justin Long plays the, the lead in this episode of uh, Creepshow. And uh, he had it placed as one of the interactive features in his virtual reality invention. And they take pieces of the footage and kind of put him in this like virtual reality. Well, he has ah. a, like a, it's almost like a virtual reality tank or bed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can select what movie you want to be a part of. And he selects Horror Express. That's like his absolute favorite movie. Right. Oh, wow. In fact, he has a huge crush on The Countess. Huh. So when he's in there, he all, he basically starts an affair with The Countess. And so you'll see he'll be like in bed with his wife. She'll fall asleep. And he'll get up and sneak in the other room and jump in the tank. <laughs> And have, but the thing with the tank though, and he shows his, he unwittingly shows his wife that the control is just this joystick with a thumb button. And so she knows, she figures out what's going on. She gets in there and she gets in and she confronts the countess. So it's not like you're just interacting with established scenes from a movie, you're actually interacting with the characters. So she, basically argues with the countess and the countess is like, no, he's mine. He'll never be yours. And you get an argument and all this. So she comes out and she waits for him to get into the, into the device. And when he's laying in there, there's like a little space that's open where you can kind of see him in there. So she goes up with some garden shears and snips off his thumb. Spoiler alert. So he cannot press the button to start, well, it's already started. He can't press the button to stop it, so he can't get out of that scene. And so what does she do? She changes the movie on him. So suddenly he's not in Horror Express. Now he's in Night of the Living Dead. Oh, God. And all the ghouls are coming at him, and basically he gets 
supposedly killed in the in the film. So that's where she exacts her revenge. But the interesting thing was this episode was directed by The Walking Dead's Greg Nicotero, who's mm -hmm. also like the big executive producer. Creepshow is like his baby. And it was written by Dana Gould. Now, Dana Gould wrote for uh, The Simpsons for years. He's written for uh, Saturday Night Live. He, he was on uh, Westworld on HBO. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, no, he, oh, no, he wasn't on that. Brian was. So, yeah, um, basically, we premiered a King Kong documentary at the Bell Theater. And uh, it was Frank Dietz's documentary. But Dana Gould was in it, so he came up. He was one of our guests. But he was really cool. So, yeah, he uh, he ended up writing that episode. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's a fun homage. Um, it, you know, it reminded me of, for those of you that are Red Dwarf fans, Better Than Life. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, yeah. And they're supposed to be, like, the best thing ever, but <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that was, you know, it, it's kind of cool to see that as of as recently as 2021, there's still interest in Horror Express within the genre that, you know, they dedicated. That, had, that had to be Nicotero, I would think. Oh, yeah. Such a horror nerd that, yeah, I'm sure he, uh, Dana Gould maybe as well. I don't know. But so if you don't subscribe to Shudder, subscribe and watch that episode. Uh, no, watch. Actually. Creepshow is a great series. Um, not all the episodes are as solid as others, but it's a fun two seasons to watch. Well, in fact, we had a oh, pause. We had Frank Dietz on a, on an episode of Planet Eight, and he mm -hmm. wrote an episode of uh, of Creepshow called Pesticide. Yeah, the Pesticide one with uh, what's his face from Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. Walking Dead is the star. Eugene. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, the whole series is, is really fun. But I don't know if there's going to be a third season or not, but. After the strike and all that, we'll see what happens. But, but like I said, it was, it was kind of cool to see, like. Definitely got revived. And yeah. mixed up with Nile Me Dead and everything else. So it was like a cool mishmash. It was. It was. It was really enjoyable. Um, but um, watch Horror Express as well. It, it's out there. You can find, I'm sure there's a bin with a DVD of it in your local, uh, for those of you that still have uh, movie <laughs> rental uh, establishments. We, uh, we drove through Piedmont the other day and... Um, Video Maniacs was the name of it, the, and they're they're finally going out of business. They've relocated two or three times, and it's very very sad um, to see that happen. There was a shop in Alameda, and they um, really cut down on their rentals and sales. And um, there's two portions: one sells DVDs, and the other sells wigs. So what happened there? I don't know. It's a horror story in and of itself. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a store there's a store in san mateo california captain video and that's been around since the 80s mm -hmm. as far as i know it's still going strong it's still there anyway so go out there and support those bookstores video stores record stores comic stores physical media hmm. <laughs> Uh, any last thoughts on Horror Express, my friends? Just a great little movie. Ooh. 70s rule. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the theme, at least it was on Apple Music, is out there with the whistling and everything. So, And some of those sound effects were so used in so many movies of that time. The little... Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, oh, my God, I've heard that so many times. <laughs> Uh, Jasmine's best girlfriend, May, her husband, John, uh, is a, a musician. Uh, he, he loves guitar uh, and Metallica. Yeah. Um, but he has one of those instruments. It's a water. I can't think what it's called. And he brought it out, put water in it. His great grandfather. And you just kind of go. <laughs> makes that like, stop, stop. But yeah, a lot of great um, 
acting, music, sound effects, uh, eerie red eyes, monster hand. Uh, have fun with it and enjoy. And hey, drop us a line. Let us know if you liked it or not, or you know how you rate this movie with others. We'd love to hear from you guys on all our social media pages, be it Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, YouTube, you name it. We're out there, except on threads. We're not on threads. And what's that other one? Walker Blue, Blue Sky. Blue Sky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm but... not getting bothered with Blue Sky when I can only get like one like for something. <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're not over there like dancing around on TikTok either. No. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, that's right. We're not dancing around on TikTok either. Yeah. I'm letting we'll China see. get my info. So <laughs> you never know. Well, my friends, I am going to start off, if you don't mind, with our sensor sweep. Yes, yes. There have been many occasions where we talked about Star Trek, be it the original series. No. What? Star Trek? What's Shit. that? Well, we should cover more of the original series. It was brought to my attention that we only did the original series once. And it was our two favorite episodes or something like that. Or something. I don't know. But... Because I think it was our first 10 episodes. Uh, yes. Maybe that's how it got brought to my attention. But in any case... Your mission commander did not show enough love to Ensign Pavel Chekhov, especially with his lack of presence in the animated series. So I have purchased Chekhov's Enterprise. The actor, per, the actor's personal journey, Mr. Walter Koenig. This is for you, Walter. I, I, mean, I have not get started... Yeah, I I did too, and I'm I'm just like you found it. Yeah, for an interview once. Um, I don't know, Bob. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> a personal shout out to Jenny Martin for giving me creatures. Ah, that looks cool. This is a cool for those of you on YouTube. I'm I'm sharing the heck out of this magazine with pictures and there's all these nice articles in here um so this is very cool is it a um, monthly magazine or what is it's it? a monthly mag limited edition 50th anniversary special number four um june so i guess this is june of last year and the price is twenty five thousand cents <laughs> so uh twenty five hundred <laughs> 2500. 2500. Sorry, 2500. Um, magazines are expensive. That's 25 bucks for a magazine. No kidding. Well, it's more right. of a design. Ages or something. That's why I don't buy magazines. I guess it's a reprint because it, it shows, says 1939 in here, but in any case, creatures. Thank you, Jenny. And then the piece de resistance. I, I need two hands to share this one. And if you're listening to this, switch over to YouTube because you're going to want to see this bad mammer jammer coming into frame from the folks at Mondo. Mothra with her A. Wow, that's a pretty big piece there. I got to tell you, th this is a big piece. It's It's a beautiful piece. I didn't know you loved Mothra that much. I, you know, it's one of those kaiju, Mothra, Ghidra, and Godzilla, uh, I would say are my my top three. Mm. What and about I the smog that. monster? I like the movie, but Hedorah's very limited and, you know, he, he throws out some slime and... All this time, I thought he was like next to Godzilla, your favorite. He was my I favorite? Really, no, I no thought so. Wow. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm so sorry. This, every once in a while, it's, it's nice after decades of friendship, I can still surprise Walker. <laughs> what the, I, I like the smog monster. I don't want to let you down. I no, just, I'm just, I don't have a, I don't have a horse in this race. I was just, okay. I'm just surprised that I, I misunderstood you. Smog, I, I like the movie and I like the theme song, but as far as like, Kick-ass kaiju, he, he doesn't do it for me. Next thing you'll be telling me is, you know, I don't know, The Flash is your favorite superhero or something. I'll just be like, 
I, I won't be telling you Mission Impossible 5 is my favorite movie. I there we go. That, so. My whole world will crumble. <laughs> hey, the, the time you told me that you're not interested in aliens anymore, and I was just like, you're the reason why I subscribe to 40 and Times. I, I think I just said that I don't really think that UFOs are aliens from outer space. That's all. I didn't say I don't think there's something going on. But this is a conversation for another time. This is true. This is true. We drove Bob away. We drove <laughs> oh Bob away. Oh, my Bob God. said, screw it. I'm out. Screw these people. <laughs> no, somebody was calling, and now he's, like, saying, Larry. Oh. <laughs> How could you do this to me, Larry? <laughs> what happened to us? <laughs> I was your favorite. <laughs> Even Campbell was shocked. <laughs> You've thrown me aside for some big moth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I apologize, but yeah. The the folks at Mondo, there's a special edition of this that I didn't get in on, where you have the two baby moths coming out of a cracked egg. Oh. And this is from Godzilla SOS. That's this version of Mothra. Hmm. Um yeah, but I didn't get on, on that. This is the regular version, which is still beautiful and it's huge. But yes, that is my censor uh, sweep for this podcast. Bob or Karen, who would like to go next? Well, I can I can throw up a few things. Yes, sir. Other than Hedora. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what version? Where where is that Hedora from? You know, <clears throat> this I have to see. I, I think it's a. I want to see either Marmot or M one, but let me see. Looks like marmot. Shiny. Yeah. Anyway, this was custom painted by James Osborne from Vinyl Kaiju Legion. Oh. And he does a lot of really nice work, custom work. So kind of like at the Godzilla Fests, I'll usually buy something custom that he's done. This one actually Debbie bought me for a, for a birthday present. Oh, nice. So and he has since did a blue one, which is really cool. Ooh. But that wasn't my sensor sweep, though. <laughs> it doesn't count against the total. No. <laughs> so we talked a little bit last time about David J. Skull and the fact that he had passed away on New Year's. Yes. So I started looking through Amazon and found Halloween, the History of America's Darkest Holiday by David J. Skull. Oh, nice. And this is like, uh, you know, it's a it's not a big tome. It's a paperback. It's probably a couple hundred pages long. But, uh, yeah, it goes from the very beginnings of the Druid Halloween season and goes all the way up through the commercial holiday we have today. That is cool. So I picked that up. I also got, in keeping within the kaiju theme of things, from IDW, I've got this comic, Godzilla Rivals, and this one is Jet Jaguar versus Megalon. And I really want to get it out of the light if you're watching on YouTube so I can get a good shot of it. But this cover, this is an internet exclusive, the cover was done by Lenny Romero, who's been an artist at all our Godzilla Fests for quite a few years now. And this is his first foray into the professional artistic realm. So if you can pick that up, you have to order it directly from IDW. And I, su I definitely suggest it. And then also, I was watching the uh, It, Terror from Beyond Space, on the Kino Lorber um, Blu-ray. And watching the extras and the special on the movie, they talked about a magazine from back in the 50s, 60s called Fantastic Monsters of the Films. And uh, if you know me, I grew up on 
famous monsters and Fangoria and all these other uh, monster times, all these monster magazines. So I didn't have all these issues of fantastic monsters, but thanks to Amazon, there's a collection of all seven issues. And this nice. nice big hardcover. This is like 600 pages. Look at that. If you're watching on YouTube. Wow. It's a thick sucker. And basically, they didn't redo anything. These are just scans of the magazine. Nice. And some are pretty pixelated and not that good. But <laughs> it's cool just to have it because you get that old feeling, all the old fonts. And this was back in the days where it wasn't computer layouts. It was like cut and paste and, you know, type it up on a column, then paste it on a board. <laughs> kind of like we used to do when we used to do Markalite magazine. That was like right on the cusp of cut and paste and computer. So it was kind of a hybrid thing. But uh, it's cool just to go back and relive the – this is kind of like a – it got a professional release because it was Burns and Blaisdell, but um, it basically has that fanzine type feel to it. Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to see what people thought of movies at the time when they were coming out. You know, I like to go back and look at my old star logs for the same reason. There's a lot of coverage in those magazines, obviously, because Paul Blaisdell had a lot to do with it. There's a lot of coverage of the old American International pictures. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And talking about it as it's new. I mean, they they had just come out. Yeah. So it's an amazing thing. It's like, it's not like, let's take a look back on American International. It's like, right. hey, American International has this new movie out called yeah. I Was a Teenage Werewolf and blah, 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 blah. You know, mm -hmm. talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's easy to lose sight of what people, you know, thought of these things. Because now we have all this established lore around different films and stuff. But to go back and read what people were saying at the time, I think is pretty valuable. Well, back in the days when we would read monster magazines, it's like, it wasn't like a big cult thing and you didn't have the internet. And so right. you didn't know all that many people that shared that interest. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have all those to grow up in the San Francisco Bay area. And there, there are a lot of people and yeah, you know, I was able to meet and mingle with them pre-internet, but uh, I know a lot of people that were, you know, grew up in Portland or somewhere, and they just figured they were the only ones in the world that liked this stuff. Yeah. Except yeah. for these people writing this magazine. They're my right. friends. <laughs> That's how I felt <laughs> growing yeah. up. I was like, yeah, no, I know there's people somewhere who like this stuff because they put out a magazine. Right. Yeah. In my little neighborhood. That's cool. Walker, what have you got for us, pal? Well, I don't have nearly the kind of stuff you guys have. I, uh, But after we did our Paddle for the Planet of the Apes episode with Lord mm -hmm. Bloodwell, um, which I just had so much fun. I, whenever we all get together and talk about apes, I have so much fun doing it. Um, I was yeah. looking at some of my ape-related stuff. And one thing I can definitely... Um, wholeheartedly recommend, and and this is a little bit of Star Trek. So those people who say we don't do enough Star Trek, um, <laughs> I can recommend this Ooh. Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, the Prime Directive graphic novel, which just means it's a bunch of comic books put together um, by uh, the Tipton brothers, Scott and David Tipton. It, pretty much anything those guys do, I will read. They're such good genre people and they such good writers and uh i uh, think let's see who's the artist on this rachel stott and mm. it's just really cool it's a good story it has uh taylor is still alive in this and sort taylor. of like taylor taylor and uh kirk kind of going head to head butting heads over things and uh cornelius and zira taylor gets on the starship and it gets on the Enterprise, and it, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, tell, me that, tell me that Kirk and Taylor have a big fight. They do. So that's a selling point right there. Taylor so, runs, runs around like Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like, do you remember Simon Van Gelder, uh, who came up? He had his mind 
sifted by the dagger. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel it's a little more like that. Um, but it's a really fun story with the apes and it just it doesn't seem overly contrived and the Tipton brothers really know both Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. So cool. it's like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter or whatever delicious combination you want to come up with. So I can recommend it. That is cool. Well, my friends, this brings us to the conclusion of another fun episode. Uh, Bob has already seen Godzilla minus one minus color. Uh, <laughs> well, your mission commander is uh, taking an away team today uh, uh, to go see it. So um, stay tuned for a little uh, mini review next episode. And I will be well, watching 49ers trounce the Lions today. I, well, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, and I'm still hey. watching the Invaders. So. I, I was going to say, I'm, <laughs> I need to get back into the Invaders. We started watching. I, I've never seen any of the prior three seasons, but we started watching season four of True Detective with Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. We started watching that, too. Yeah. I'll be damned. That's such a good show. Um, so if you guys get a chance to check it out. Talk about cold. Man, every time I watch that, I have to get a blanket because yeah, that's yeah. cold. Uh, it'll Not, be interesting to see where it goes. I, it will. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything because it's still out there. But there's there's this. Um, anyway, never mind. You, you, <laughs> you otherwise didn't know. Um, and we're, but we're about... Three quarters of the way through Torchwood now. Mm. And uh, yeah, man, I forgot how good that was. And uh, by end of season two, you would have the man tears just flowing like crazy. <laughs> and uh, we also started watching De Debbie's really into like World War II fighters. <laughs> That type of thing. Interesting. So there's a uh, Apple TV Plus series on now called Masters of the Air, and they just released the first two episodes this last week. And uh, yeah, not really my cup of tea, but it was good. It was interesting. I'll be we'll be watching. That. I guess it's going to come out every Friday. So, uh, Jasmine's friend May uh, and her husband John started watching. Uh, didn't start they've been watching next generation and i would talk about certain episodes and now they're getting into deep space nine hmm. and so we're having conversations on why does odo do this you know the meaning of odo ito and and uh, there was a next generation uh episode the title escapes me um where miles o'brien talks to a, an ex-captain that he had who was the wounded the, the wounded yes thank you walker ah it's such good episodes and great acting um Colomini is just chef's kiss you know they didn't give him enough to do um and but they did in deep space nine so it, yeah. it kind of works out but anyway we're having fun with that um yeah so I guess this draws this episode to a conclusion. We want to thank you all for tuning in, keeping up with us, commenting and liking our posts on uh, Facebook slowly but surely. We are gaining momentum there. So keep sharing the good word of uh, Planet 8. <laughs> <laughs> Stay safe. We're up to 397 subscribers on YouTube. So. That's right. This just is 10 of your friends. <laughs> you guys take care. Until next time, we're signing off. Peace out. Take care of yourselves. Peace and love. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com 
slash Planet 8 Podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.